So I've created a new setup this morning. I figured that I kind of didn't want to lie on my back in bed and have the microphone on me because I started noticing there was a little bit of glitching because obviously I'm like having some kind of spasms as I'm like getting way too jeet up talking to the ether. So I'm testing lying on my tummy. I've got Oh God, it's so cooked the way that I'm doing this. So I woke up really early this morning at about 5, 5.30 and I was just deep in the thoughts. Not an existential crisis, so that's always positive. More just like, I've got this thing that I do every morning where I'm like yearning to hop out of bed, but I'm either too cold or too tired or, you know, Harry's asleep or whatever. And I'm just kind of like sitting there catatonic deeply in my thoughts. And I feel the same thing before I go to bed, but I'm clearly tired and I kind of need to either have a coffee or go back to sleep. And then I don't go back to sleep and then I don't have a coffee. So it's just this like purgatory where I'm just feeling uncomfortable for at least an hour or two every morning. And like, you know, sometimes I'll find the strength to be creative or like productive more often than not. I seem to enjoy this like awful, almost like a, what is it, like a sleep paralysis or something. Yeah, I woke up really early this morning and I'm really tired. I've had a coffee now. Harry woke up and he made me a coffee, so feeling good about it. I did do a bit of reading, did write a few like notes down, did a little bit of writing, did a lot of research. I love doing these deep dive research things when I'm just like thinking of a thought. Did a bunch of research about like round the world travel tickets just to have aspiration in my life as I'm kind of in this post-holiday I wouldn't say it was a holiday. I actually was talking about this the other day where it's so interesting to come back from being overseas, being on the road. I say on the road because it wasn't just overseas because before that I was in Byron, before that I was in Melbourne, before that I was in the Philippines, but before that I was in Sydney, and before that I was in America, and before that I was in Sydney. You know, It's a kind of just one long, endless road, and I don't really see it and compartmentalize it as like, this is a holiday, this is not a holiday. I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of interviews and watch a lot of videos with people. You know, all kinds of people, not just like celebrities, not just like creatives, but like just generally, I just watch some random shit online. But often people talk about how they can't really switch off or they can't go on holidays. And I know that when I was really plugged into the matrix of work life, I felt that way. And I definitely just found it really hard to switch off. Like it was almost like this anxiety of, are my emails popping off? Like who's trying to reach me? Like I talked about yesterday with social media, there's just like an impending doom that I generally feel, which I seemingly don't feel right now. It's a different kind of impending doom. I'm on my good vape, actually. Terrible, terrible that I'm still vaping, but on my blue Lush Lemonade, I've had this one since London. It's just like a low nicotine vape, which... Like, I'm trying to wean myself off it. Again, I don't know even what wean means. I've just heard people say it. Often I'll, like, just mirror human beings and just try to sound like them. More evidence as to why I'm of the supernatural realm, but, you know, not not the point at hand. It's not even impending doom because nothing's impending. Like, I don't have any direction right now. Like, I'm just kind of existing and writing and recording and living I feel quite present actually particularly not being online well accessibly online um, particularly not being plugged into my career matrix I was organizing my calendars yesterday and I was just like seemingly there's not much in here that I need to adhere to Byron is a pretty quiet place from like a car perspective so I'm surprised that people are zipping around. I guess it is a Saturday. This is another thing about when you're not plugged into the Matrix, especially with my ADHD. When I'm not plugged in, one thing that does happen is I lose a sense of time. 
Like I actually don't quite know what day it is, what date it is, which is why I have to be really almost obsessive with my calendars and which is why I set them up yesterday because I was like, all right, it's time to plug into the real world, not the matrix, but the actual real world where it would be helpful to know if it's the weekend, (laughs) which it is, which doesn't feel that different to me. The only difference will be that more people are out and about doing what they want instead of slogging away at work. Yeah, I can identify that it is Saturday now and I have intentions to head to the library. There's this one part of the library that I love sitting in, which is like this little red throne chair that I found in the kids section. And if you push the chair up close enough to the window facing outwards like kind of no one bothers you and it's actually quite peaceful. I remember when I started my sabbatical once returning from the Philippines I spent a lot of time there. The first book I read was a John Cleese book about creativity and I thought it was really impactful. can't remember the name I'll have to find it but yeah that was that was nice so I'm gonna do that today. I think I've got a lot of ideas in my mind that I kind of want to purge. Yeah I think today might be a day to be productive. Harry's heading to the Gold Coast to do some fittings for these weddings next week. So I have the day to myself. It's a really nice day. It was like really raining the last couple of days, which is strange for Byron, but now it's back to like 24 degrees Celsius. I've got this day. I've thought about going to the beach. I'm not sure that will actually happen, but maybe I'll do a little walk down there at some point, particularly if I'm at the library. I can just head down to the main beach, have a look around, observe, see what's going on. I don't know. I was thinking this morning... I don't particularly have any talking points. I don't think I ever really do. If anything, I just purge whatever the hell I'm thinking about at the time because that's what this is for. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to talk to people even though they can't talk back to me and that's kind of how I like it. But I like the sense of talking to someone. I feel a lot like Coop in Twin Peaks, like talking to Diane. It's like this infinite loop of just speaking into the ether and it really is helpful for me. But when I was lying here in my sleep paralysis, I guess, and having all these thoughts, I eventually thought, you know what, you need to do something. So I started reading one of my many books. I've got a stack of them. I really can't focus on just one thing at one time. It depends what mood I'm in. So I need like, you know, five books on rotation. Started using Goodreads, an app that people review books on, but I've been using it more just to kind of track what I've been reading and have like personal documentation about what I have read, what I thought about it. Rating it helps just to know if I liked it or not. But one of the books in my pile is this book I bought at Amoeba in LA. Bought it secondhand. I love buying secondhand books. Not going to get into a sustainability rant, but like there is just so much product out there. It, It does feel really good when you can buy a book secondhand if it's not a new release. Often I find books secondhand that I can't even find in production anyway, and I really don't love hardcover books. I just need to air this out right now. Like, I don't know why people release hardcover books, except for the coffee table books, which makes sense because they're for display, and I guess they're full of photography or whatever. Like, reading a hardcover book is really hard for me. Like, it's just never the right kind of position. You're kind of uncomfortable at all times, especially those oversized ones. Like, I don't know what's going on. The only hardcover book I did enjoy, well, not the only one, but one that I thought was acceptable, was Seth Rogen's book because it was like small enough that it wasn't uncomfortable especially the bigger copy had a really good font size like it makes me feel really like an old lady or something saying that this font was so big that it just I powered through it it made me feel like a sense of achievement because I just kept flipping through pages rapidly because there's not that many words on the page compared to say Oliver Stone's book which oh I love him but what a bastard like just made the font so tiny and like 
right to the bleed. It looked like an acceptable size book. It was already thick. Once you got in there, you realized it was actually double thickness with the levels of how many words he managed to squeeze in there. And I respect it. He did not edit out too much. It did really need everything in there. Back to Seth Rogen, I just really enjoyed his book. And then also, I think that little hack with the, the big font made it acceptable. But And also the thickness of the book wasn't too hardcore. Also, the style of hardcover that he had was like almost like a thin hardcover that it reminded me of the Enid Blyden books. Like I loved reading like The Magic Faraway Tree and that series. When I was young and I remember vividly like those style of books, it reminded me of that. So that's acceptable. But these newer releases that are not even just new ones there's these hardcover books that I just really do not fuck with and sorry but like if you're releasing a book please make a soft cover edition like sometimes it's really hard to find like I want to read Mina Savari's book and the only one that seems to be available in Australia at the moment is a hardcover which I'm just reluctant to buy because I just know I'll have such a terrible experience and I saw there is a soft cover coming I'm thinking about pre-ordering it if I can't find it at the library which I probably won't find it at the library even though there are definitely people working at libraries at the moment that are excellent curators for people like me because I've been finding a lot of books that I really fuck with. New releases as well as just like general cultural titles that appeal to me. They'll have like really good film and writing sections. They'll have really good music books. They'll have a great fiction selection. I don't even remember what I was talking about, but on the note of libraries, I've always loved them. That was my safe space when I was young. I used to just love going there. And it was like a sense of freedom because my parents were really strict when I was growing up. So I wasn't allowed to do many things, but they really valued reading and were always like, you should be reading, you should be watching TV, you should be reading. Um, You shouldn't be on the internet, you should be reading. And also the internet wasn't around when I was much younger. So I always had the ability to go to the library. Also, we didn't have much money when I was a kid. My grandma would actually take me to the library in Richmond. I grew up around there, like nearby. Richmond Library was my happy place. They had this little like blue railing on, like they had like a ramp that you could get into. And she would, I remember vividly walking up there. They used to have fish and tanks. I remember one time there was this one incident where I, um, I didn't get in trouble. It was just like a talking to because you're supposed to be quiet in the library. Fair enough. When I've needed to study or something, like it is nice to have quiet. But like, you know, I was just a kid. That said, I'd probably be pretty annoyed if a kid was screaming in the library now. I just remember there was this one memory where I remember seeing the fish and they were like kind of bigger fish. And I just remember screaming at my grandma across the library at full volume, just Lula, which is grandma in Filipino. Lula, Lula, this fish is pregnant. First of all, okay, I don't know, I think I'm like three or four. I was probably four years old because I think I was in kindergarten that she picked me up. I don't know why I knew what being pregnant was or maybe I didn't know because I don't know that the fish was actually pregnant. Somehow I'd learned what that meant. Maybe it was through school, but that's interesting because I did go to preschool on a kindergarten that was with nuns. I'm Filipino, like I grew up Catholic and there was this one kindy that I went to and I think the reason I was there was because one of the nuns was Filo. It's just a thing. If you're Filipino, you love other Filipinos. Like it's just a thing. It's a trust thing maybe. Also, my parents were just like fresh migrants to Australia. So they're looking for community. Naturally, they would gravitate towards church because that's something they know and other Filipinos because again, trust. So I'm surprised that I would learn about these things whilst being at a kindergarten with nuns. I don't really think that that would be where I've learned it. Maybe it was through a TV show. I mean, I can't imagine Sesame Street, which I used to watch 
I can't imagine it was through that. I really don't know. I'll have to figure it out. Maybe with more schema therapy, I'll uncover the truth as to how I've understood what the word pregnant meant at the time. But I just have these vivid memories of going to the library and having a really good time. They'd always have like toys there. It was like walking into a toy store and you were allowed to open the the packet and just do whatever you wanted. So I've had like an affinity libraries for a long time. I also think in school same situation once I moved out to Daniel and like the library was always kind of a safe space especially I was quite bookish in primary school and I loved reading and writing and we used to have these things called scholastic book fairs which if you don't know that feeling you don't know that feeling but if you do oh man they were wild like I mean not that I ever got to really buy anything like my parents were kind of like that's really overpriced like you're not doing that but you might get to buy one of the little like stationary items which another thing I sent for is like the stationary section of the supermarket one I really think going to the supermarket's boring I don't really cook I don't really have an affinity cooking Harry loves it and he's a chef in that way or a cook or whatever you know has done it professionally and really enjoys cooking like he cooks me every day i'm very blessed in that way because otherwise i'd just be eating rice and tuna and my, might i add like microwave rice because i don't actually know how to use the stove to cook rice and i don't have a rice cooker which i'm not even 100 percent sure i know how to use i'm off topic and there is no topic so i'm really just spiraling into whatever the fuck is going on in my brain right now but i think i was talking oh scholastic book fair that's right so there were these sections where you would just like have all these little pencils and like erasers rulers and just like weird little accessories and it was just like it was such a big deal when you go to scholastic book fair because you get to look at the catalog beforehand and then you get there and you'd be like what am i gonna buy and then there'd always be that knock there'd always be a knock i went to public school none of us were really cashed up the way they probably were at private school there'd always be that one knock that would have like a big budget and they'd always be like braggadocious about it you know walk in there like kind of swan around fill their book bag make their purchase kind of just like be in the schoolyard with all their new books and it was just like so cringe but then there'll be many others like me where you get your one thing and it'd be a prized possession like you put in your little pencil case and I just have very fond memories of the Scholastic Book Fair so shout out Scholastic Book Fair I actually was in Queens in New York and I saw a big sign on one of private schools elementary schools I think they call them in America but they had the sign for it and I just it sent something into me I think I've got the photo somewhere I just had a feeling of joy and I feel like I've felt that often around books because like you know it's one of those things like there were points in my life especially when I really heavily was on the internet that I just like stopped reading well I stopped reading in the sense of obsessively as I did when I was young like I was really obsessed with like certain types of fantasy slash I don't know like I had Early, early, early on, me and my cousin had access to the Magic Faraway Tree series, which I'm still shocked hasn't been made. I feel like someone's got the film rights and then they just have parked it and it's just never come up or someone's stopping it from happening because it would just make such an epic movie. It's very like Alice in Wonderland meets Narnia. But yeah, then I got really obsessed with Narnia and like that whole chronicle. I, I have a similar affinity to the now defunct video stores. Like, oh my God. Much like the Scholastic Book Fair, and I actually feel really bad. I, I talk about this often with my siblings because we have such fond memories of like going to Video Easy or Blockbuster, and just it was such an occasion. Like we'd get to go there and we'd run around for ages, and you'd pick so meticulously. You'd be like digging through to find that film you'd heard about from a friend. It was a lot of word of mouth, or you'd find it deep on the internet. By the time it was DVDs, you would have the internet, maybe, but I can't remember how it aligned with VHS. But yeah, when it was like VHS, it was all word of mouth 
Or you'd actually have to put the effort in to go in there and pick up the covers. Like, they'd have to catch your eye and then you'd have to read the blurb. And it was just, like, the best experience ever. We also had this, like, little one that we'd have near our house. Like, this little news agency slash video store. And it just, they'd have these specials. Like, you get, like, one new release, four weeklies for like $10 or something and it was just like you'd have to be so specific because like, you'd have those for a week and you knew you were going to rewatch them it wasn't just like you were going to watch them one and done this was like you know there was nothing else to do like it was either reading books hanging out with your friends or watching these things and then you'd have talking points like you'd be able to go to school and be like oh I watched this movie and it was just I don't know it was a different time for movie lovers and I think that's where I just got so obsessed with movies and inevitably once I, I was already into TV but once I started working at Foxtel and like found MTV and the internet like it, it kind of just like it developed from there there's these certain times like you just can't replicate anymore I would love to have that experience again I guess you could probably do it with DVDs now and in some ways that is available I've seen those little booths that they have like the vending machine type of ones I can't believe I'm yearning for the physicality of things because that's such a digitally obsessed person you know, it reminds me of the vinyl revival. There is something, you know, I'll try to deny it and you'll say whatever, but there is something about that tangible experience and also the immersive experience. Like I was watching Netflix the other day, like I haven't had any subscriptions because I had to cancel everything once I plugged out the Matrix because we're at Harry's mum's house and she's away at the moment. She has Netflix and it's logged in. So I had to scroll and I was just like getting really stressed out because the way that the industry, the streaming industry is fragmented, you can't just watch the thing you want to watch. We've got to Google where it is, like which one of the 10,000 streaming platforms or cable networks or whatever is it on. And I'm almost like, not to encourage this, this is a reaction to what the fuck are we going to do? Like we're now at a point where it's like downloading and pirating a movie is actually easier than like finding it. Also having the finances, like I can't even imagine a young person or a family trying to afford this many subscriptions even when I was working for Foxtel and I was selling subscriptions like it was more cost effective to have Foxtel back then it's just out of control like I just don't want to have this many subscriptions and I also don't really want to have this many logins like you know that was the whole conversation about the metaverse or whatever it's like you could have one universal login for the internet it's not there yet and also it doesn't really work it's not solving the problem which I need which is what the hell is up with all these different streaming platforms like there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen next whether like Disney will buy everyone Amazon will buy everyone I don't necessarily want to see a monopoly or a duopoly or whatever but something's going to be done because sometimes you'll have a subscription as well and I did when I did have all the different subscriptions you'd be watching a thing and then like you know a new player enters the market as an example Showtime got moved I don't know if it's actually happened but it like got moved to Paramount Plus when it launched and it's just like what the hell now I have to get another subscription and it's just a bit of a shit show like that you know I found it really stressful like I really wanted to watch The White Lotus because I'd been talking about it with Harry and I did that part about it. I was kind of like, look, I need to rewatch. And it was like, oh, it's not on here because it's HBO. So in Australia, it's on Binge, which is the digital equivalent of Foxtel. And it's just like, fine. All right. Well, I'm not going to watch that. What else am I going to watch? Oh, I'd love to watch Pen15. I really want Harry to watch the rest of that as well. And I could give it a rewatch. And it's not there. It's not on Netflix. It's on Stan, I'm pretty sure, which I think runs all the Hulu shows in Australia. And I'm just like, okay, cool. What's next? You're just scrolling. And I, I don't like the interface. I'm sorry, Netflix. I don't like the interface. Scrolling right, scrolling left, scrolling down. I don't understand the categorization. Where is the key on there that tells me what category is what? Like, I'm literally confused. Like, I'm literally spiraling into now, instead of watching something with the limited time that I have, although I do have infinite time at the moment, limited patience that I have. 
let me rephrase. Now I'm just sitting here doom scrolling. It's like, I don't even think it's doom scrolling. I'm actually searching for literally things that I just cannot find. And it's just the most frustrating experience. Not to say that when Blockbuster and Video Easy and stuff existed, that you would get there and sometimes some person would have borrowed the thing that you want. And usually they have a few copies of stuff and they might be all out. Like something is really hot right now. And that would be really frustrating. And then it'd be some kid at school where you're like, ugh you it was you i'm not saying that it was 100 percent a solve then at least if you were there and and it wasn't there and you kind of find something else you still had the pleasure of being in an immersive location full of movies full of video games because they'd also have video games which was amazing that was so fun to be able to hire different video games instead of having to purchase them although sometimes that didn't work because like you'd get to a certain level and then you'd have to return it or you try to re-borrow it and maybe mum and dad would be like no that's enough or it would have been pre-booked by someone else anyway look I'm not getting into video games right now but the point is it's just like if I'm gonna feel this much stress trying to find a show to watch now I just don't want to watch it and I'm gonna do something else which is just so dumb I didn't get to watch any of those things and I was like randomly just thought of watching Kath and Kim. I was like, oh, Kath and Kim's on here. Let's give it a watch. Like I kind of want to watch it start to finish. I haven't, like I've watched, I've rewatched episodes recently just because I think they're just so fucking funny. Jane Turner, Jane O'Reilly. Yes. I just think they're excellent. And Magda Szymanski, excellent Australian comedians. Like I grew up watching comedy on TV. Fast Forward was like a variety show or like a skit show, I guess, that I grew up with that I didn't quite understand, but I just knew it was funny. And I just like would watch it all the time. And then later on, Big Girl the Blouse started. There was a lot of amazing Australian comedy back then that I'm still yearning to find now. Like I do see a lot of that happening on social. I loved network comedy back then. It still exists. It's just a different format now. I don't know any shows that exist like that. I loved The Chasers War and everything. I loved Rove Live. There was another show that I really loved called Wilfred. I haven't watched it in ages. Can't really remember too many of the plot lines, but it was an Australian comedy about this woman and her dog. And the dog is like just this man wearing a dog suit. She sees him as a dog. And it's a very similar dynamic to Brian from Family Guy, where you wonder, is he just barking? What is the person hearing? Are they hearing what we're hearing? And I just thought that was a really interesting writing style. But yeah, there was some really great shows in that era of comedy and Kath and Kim being one of them. I think what I love about Kath and Kim it is quite a notorious show. People know about it. A girl I know, Danielle, watched it when she was living in America. And I, I thought that was really fascinating because I'm like, oh, people in America know about this. And it was just, oh man, the characters in this are just so on point. And I think what is hilarious about it is actually the fact that I grew up right by there. Like Fountain Gate is a real place. If you're not familiar, it is a real place out in Warren in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, which is not far from my parents' house and actually was our closest Westfield. So I was actually there the other day. Like Harry and I went down there, got some sushi, did a lap around, and I've got so many memories of hanging out there. I also worked at Foxtel. I was kind of stationed in a lot of places, but I did spend a prolonged period at Fountain Gate. Like even though I was working in a job and I was selling TV subscriptions and I was watching that much TV, like my job was literally to sit there, stand there, 
yeah, sorry, for eight hours a day. And I'd just watch MTV literally for eight hours a day. I'd also watch VH1 and video clips. We also had Foxtel IQ, which was like TiVo. We could pause things and record things. So I would just record video clips, record episodes and just rewatch them again and again, like in public. It was kind of weird. Like they've got shows like Gogglebox and stuff now, but that was me. Like I'd be in the middle of the mall watching and people could watch me watching. And that's really strange. People would come up and watch with me or they would like talk to me. And that, that's how I ended up being such a great salesperson because I just make these random friends or like just have these conversations with TV freaks. It's funny because I'm pretty confident that this was happening. This was being filmed around the same time as I was working at Fountagate. Well, I really hope so because I'm like now rewatching it and just hoping like Hail Mary that I'm in the background of an episode like that would just make my life. It would just be so fucking funny if I just saw myself in the background at Fountagate in Kath and Kim. Excellent, excellent writing. Very, very relatable. This has kind of just taken me into a path of just like talking about the suburbs because it's so funny that would be comedic to people. Like these tropes that they kind of showcase in Kath and Kim don't feel like caricatures to me. I actually knew people exactly like that, including my neighbours. Their family was literally Kath and Kim. And I had a my grandpa, my mum's stepdad, my late little Eric was an Australian man. And he, him and my grandma, my little Levi, married when she was in Australia so when I was quite young I remember I was a flower girl at their wedding and he had a family to his widowed wife and I had these aunties that were just like Kath and Kim they had the perms and everything it's so funny to me because that's just the kind of like subcultures and I guess Australian culture that I'd grown up around was very very on point to to that show and like just knowing the landscape like I need to I'm gonna go to the Kath and Kim house like I need to find it like I can't believe I haven't done it yet like I've already been on this world tour of, you know I went to Vinny Chase's mom's house and I went to the Sopranos family home and I went to Twin Peaks I went to the Cullen family home like it's time for me to go to the Kath and Kim home I just thought it was really fascinating how much this random view of this family this dysfunctional chaotic family and their friends and partners just like could provide so much comedy and I'm like I think that's how I've always thought of myself as a writer and that's the kind of stuff I would want to produce but I just forgotten about Australian comedy like I really enjoy Australian cinema sometimes I think I just have Hollywood sparkles where you just think that you want to write on TV shows it's just like being a TV freak like so much of it is produced in America or in the UK I will say I was really obsessed with the UK British comedy I loved Garth Marenghi I loved the original Office with Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant I loved Time Trumpet was a show that I really liked in Brass Eye Peep Show I mean, I also just love Faulty Towers. I never really got into Monty Python, which is crazy. I really will watch it. I've seen bits and pieces, but I need to love it like that. And I know I will. I literally loved a lot of British humour, which is very adjacent to Australian humour. It's that kind of like deadpan, dry. The timing, something about the timing and the pacing of it all. It's not sparkly and it it doesn't have high production. So it almost looks a little bit shit at all times. And a lot of the kind of writing, a lot of the kind of mockumentary style shows that I love, The Office and Park recreation those kind of shows had that shitty handheld filming i love how lo-fi it all is and i mean i also love like slapstick and and i love like louder kind of humor and i love the sparkles of american television but i think my fundamental comedic style is probably just really self-loathing british humor which is very australian 
who knows, maybe I'll end up in a writer's room for an Australian comedy. Would love to. I don't really know much about that world outside of just being a fan. I've always kind of just worked in like these culture spaces, cool spaces. I've worked with like really aspirational brands, a lot of fashion, worked in media. But yeah, I'm kind of looking to make a step towards more of the traditional film TV world and writer's world, screenwriter's world in that way and been writing a lot of my own material and writing a lot of my own, yeah, like writing books and scripts of my own. It's really strange. Like it's interesting to have to like learn a new industry that isn't even that foreign because I've worked adjacent to it. Just work with so many creators and I've worked with so many writers and I've worked with so many producers and directors and more in like the ad sense. Like I've always worked essentially advertising because it's media and it's like branded content, advertorial and whatever else. I'm interested in like more creative development and I just completely forgot that I really genuinely enjoy a lot of Australian cinema and TV and comedy. So that was fun to like kind of watch that and unlock it. Actually an observation that I did make that I really, I love is that Kim's outfit choices is so on point. If we're talking what what is known as Y2K fashion now like she just slays and she reminds me of Roberta from Underbelly which is the same thing it's like the Australian version of that is just suburban and the American version of that in my mind because I just grew up on MTV is Paris Hilton Nicole Richie Simple Life but sometimes I forget the Simple Life as an example is them going into these like middle of nowhere towns and essentially what might be depicted as trailer trash or suburban misfits or whatever it's like that aesthetic it goes hand in hand with the suburbs it goes hand in hand with the middle of nowhere sometimes I think about my fashion sense and identity and it never really been about like I didn't really like subscribe to magazines editorial like that like I just watched tv shows and I just went to them all and like you know I've talked about this with friends before this isn't an aesthetic so much as it is a lifestyle like I was influenced so heavily by like my environment what was available at the mall because I worked at the mall like I worked in valley girl at the mall my friends worked at Supre. like that's what happened we went to savers which was like our big thrift store and went to the salvos like I went thrifting I love that I've talked about this before about thrifting is such a good snapshot of what the area is like you're buying clothes off other people within your kind of postcode or you know state and it says a lot about what other people are buying and and giving away and I think so much of that is influenced by people that you would see like I'd see these ethnic mums you know even the Filipino mums aunties and that kind of aesthetic really reminds me of Carmela Soprano the leopard print and like the little cute pedal pushers and little sandals and mules and things like that with the fur coats and they, those kind of you know well faux fur that was like things that you're absorbing passively that come to influence you and it was the same as wearing bodycon or like wearing these little crop tops and halter tops and flared jeans and flared things like that was me shopping in the mall or at savers so it wasn't like the internet now where you could just see something and buy it straight away like you have to find it or you'd have to see it and like grab it so much of that is anchored in the locality of like where I grew up around the people I grew up around and it's just funny to see Kim and Kath and Kim wearing these outfits because she's playing a caricature I guess of a suburban girl and it's just so on point it's like the tacky nails like that's so cool now and it's such an aesthetic now you know obviously there is a lot of aspects that are lifted from black culture particularly in America like a lot of things are borrowed from black culture and I think there is also like that version of that that comes from other places so much of Filipino culture is just oh god I went to the Philippines and I just so Filipino their interpretation of a lot of other things they've seen and I so identify with a lot of these characters on screen because that's what I used to dress like and I still dress like because that's my truth and it was never to have an aesthetic it was just existing like wearing a juicy couture tracksuit back then was not an aesthetic it was just like functional 
and it was also available. And also then, you know, then you would see celebrities like a Paris Hilton wearing that. It would validate that it is cool. But like just some of the stylistic choices I made back then were just available to me. And it wasn't retro and it wasn't vintage and it wasn't something core. It was just existing. So yeah, I love to see these characters just be that because it validates the fact that that is my truth. Something that you can't just borrow and lift from. It's funny because like I think about that with like a lot of Nepo babies or like people that have access to buy the designer labels or buy the best version of that thing. It's funny to see people that are really wealthy dressing like this. I just don't understand how it costs so much to look so cheap essentially. You know, I see people buying into labels. You know, maybe it's got a designer on or maybe it's just like a trend piece you're trying to look like someone that grew up in the deep suburbs with me or me and it's like the most bizarre thing but yeah I'm kind of off track here but if you're not from the suburbs or you didn't grow up in like these kind of areas I think another thing that's really insightful is it is multicultural like a lot of these places where I grew up was really multicultural like heavily multicultural a lot of refugees moved there a lot of immigrants moved there kind of lower socioeconomic to middle class area where it was affordable and it wasn't like an inner city suburb where like arts kids move that's where people like me end up moving where you like kind of have that multiculturalism where I've also got a lot of students this was more like the two tropes that were there or the two categorizations I guess was like your immigrants and then you'd have your bogans I mean bogans such a funny word like some people don't agree with it it's like this equivalent of saying a redneck or a trailer trash like they're not nice words but like I'm not sure how to categorize it more like Australian families maybe on the lower socioeconomic tier of existence or maybe they're just like deeply suburban and they're just so of a trope that Kathleen Kim are mirroring and I think that was what I grew up around and I I say that with positivity because yes there are some things that were like dangerous when I was growing up things that were not so great but there was also some really amazing characters that I just encountered and grew up with you just couldn't even believe are real like it's like when I watch Tim and Eric or when I watch like David Lynch and they have these like caricatures of these crazy characters that I literally have seen in America that are real people that's how I feel about growing up in the burbs of Australia I think Kath and Kim and many other shows and movies have like demonstrated these are real people and it's not even that it's funny like what's funny is that it's it's almost like so unbelievable that they're real the funny comes from the mundane I think a lot of comedy that I really enjoy comes from the mundane like I said the office so much of that is because I've worked in an office having been in the professional space even before I worked in an office I worked in like retail like there's always these characters that you would encounter and I've been working for the last 20 years it's so on point and I just think that the funny comes in through like a long tail which actually is a nice segue back to where I was even going before I got distracted by my own thought which is I've been reading this book by Mike Sachs called Poking a Dead Frog that I bought at Amoeba. It's just conversations with today's top comedy writers, which, you know, like as a fan of comedy and someone that aspires to like write comedy for myself or other people, I don't even think I'm funny. I think that I'm just a shit show and that's what's funny. Like I find it comedic that like I'm just such a hot mess at all times that that's funny because like I don't know what else to do but laugh. Like people will say they find me funny. Like my sister, thank, thank you, Jay, my sister, who constantly like reminds me that she finds me hilarious or my partner, Harry, who just just thinks me and my siblings and my family are just like wild and just finds us hilarious. I don't even know if it's funny at this point. There is a point where you just kind of look into the, the ether and, and look into the void and go, maybe none of this is funny at all. And, and then it's like, you can't, you can't look there. You can't look in the darkness for too long because that's not funny to be literally miserable. And I only really, apparently I only have, well, I've stated that I only have two real emotions, which is rage and sadness, but I think there might be one other and I want it to be joy. But my version of joy is probably, I don't even know. It's probably a sadistic view of joy, which is what I find to be funny. 
the irony of all of this is that my middle name is Joy. Like, that's so cursed. Like, it's such a filler thing to have a middle name, Joy. I don't, I, I've added the J back in my name, but like, I didn't think I deserved the full three letters, but I kind of dropped the name. I thought it was lame when I was growing up. And I even tried to change it to Jade after the Bratz doll in year 12, because I found a loophole that apparently if you got your confirmation, you could pick a middle name. I don't know if it was to take over your old middle name, but I just decided it. So my high school certificate actually says Mia Jade Basorio instead of Mia Joy Basorio. So don't know if it's valid. Not sure. I don't even know where it is like it even matters I've reclaimed the letter J for the meantime I did try to go for MJ at one point I was like this is kind of cool you know Spider-Man or whatever and then my brother kind of called me out and he was like what's this uh, MJ situation because his name is RJ and I was like fair fair call also too hard to try to change people it's like when you decide to have a nickname in high school and you wanted everyone to use it it's like having a new screen name or a new at I ended up with Mia J. Basorio, and I think that's a nice way to define that I am reclaiming some of that joy. Eventually, I'll start to, maybe it'll be Mia Joe Basorio soon, and then Mia Joy. I don't know if those are the three stages of evolution that are to come, but yeah, I, that's really ironic that my parents did that to me. You really gave me the middle name Joy, and I just end up being born a sad girl. What's going on here? But not the point, not the point at all. Back to the book, back to the book. There was an interview that I read. Actually, there was two back-to-back that I read. Diablo Cody, screenwriter, director on Juno, young adult, time and a half in Sweet Valley High. That was really good. I felt really connected to it. There was a point where they said Ghost World appealed to them, and I love Ghost World. Daria, Ghost World, even Aubrey Plaza's character, April in Parks and Recreation, that's the same character to me. And I always get told, like people always tell me that I remind them of Daria, and I don't know if it's my tone of voice or if it's because I'm deadpan or if I'm really awkward or like what the hell that even means, maybe because I've got a lot of opinions and I'm a know-it-all, got a bit of the bookishness. I mean, funnily enough, my sister is exactly like Quinn, and I do identify as Daria in a lot of ways. It's just weird when people say it to you. But I did get this tattoo in New York of a picture that my sister drew of us as Quinn and Daria. It's on my back right shoulder, which is really cute. Um, I will unveil that at some point. I kind of forgot that it's there. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm literally spiraling into a distraction. But yes, yeah, so she, she talks about Ghost World and Napoleon Dynamite and American Beauty and these kind of like suburban misfits. And it's exactly what I was talking about. It's just like resonating with these characters that exist that are just suburban misfits, like characters in Napoleon Dynamite. I'm just so wild and they're so aesthetic, but I just know a bunch of people like that and I can relate to that so hard. And, you know, the, we talked about it, me and my sister and Harry talked about it when we were away. Like, when is the vote for Pedro shirt coming back? Like, this, it's it's bound to come back, this Napoleon Dynamite era. It was just such a big deal at some point. I think Andrew Callahan from Channel 5 really reminds you of Napoleon Dynamite, and perhaps he does that intentionally. I don't know. That style of comedy, I really enjoy. So, yeah, just reading that, I just felt like that was a really funny little two-page interview of advice. But Mike Sher is someone that I just really admire like I didn't know anything about him to be honest I loved his shows before I knew anything about him and then I was like oh my god Mose my brother was like you know Mose is a writer and I was like oh what's the deal that's such a funny character I love because I'm such an office fan like I just love the office so many dark points in my life it's kind of pulled me out of the darkness like it's my go-to I'm depressed show which is fucked because like it makes me so happy and I think it's just like a trigger to feel happier I can associate binge watching it at some really low points in my life read this interview with Mike Sher and I just thought it was really insane 
insightful in this book. I kind of know a lot about his career and not that I'm trying to mirror it, but I respect what he's done and I love hearing insight into other people's journeys. I don't think my journey will ever be the same as anybody's because it's just not going to work out for me like that, especially being a foyer, just like so far away from everything, but loved reading about his time on the office and about Parks and Rec and some of his influences and his writing style. And I think something that he talks about a lot that I really agree with is just the value of character development and that's what I love about TV writing versus cinema is just that you have more time to give to these characters to grow with them he talks about how like a lot of people want to find that happy it's like everything's such a shit show let's just try to find the happy and it's not about like the destination and the, the end goal of happy it's like find the happiness in those dark times and just you know showcasing those will to exist And I even think this podcast is a bit like that. Like, I don't think that I'm even trying to be funny and I don't think it's funny at all. If anything, I feel like I'm just fucking emo at all times. Maybe people are laughing at me because that's kind of just early high school for me. I'm so sad that it's hilarious to other people that don't feel that sad. I don't know. I just love that idea of giving these characters the ability to be flawed and then try to find their way out of the dark and not maybe ever getting there, but they're trying. And like, it's like this hero's journey of it's not about getting to a character arc where they feel self-actualized at the end, but maybe each moment and each episode they have a moment of clarity, a moment of self-actualization and purpose. Like I love that about TV and that each character can grow and then fall back down And then they have the space to just keep going through that process over the course of many seasons. I am very subject to falling in love with characters to get almost obsessive where I don't. I remember I watched The Wire. I like cut off friends. I went offline. I'm offline right now. Like it's about time for me to binge a show. The way that I was so committed to The Wire. I got so invested in the characters and so emotional that I genuinely was like, these are my friends. That when I got to the final episode, I watched it five times back to back. I did not want to say goodbye to my friends from Baltimore. And actually when I was on the train, recently in America like going from New York that three-day train ride from New York to Seattle we drove past Baltimore and I kind of got a bird's eye view of looking over Baltimore which was really funny because like that's how I looked at the show and it was almost like because I was watching it through the glass of this train it was like watching it on tv and I just remember thinking my friends are there my friends from the show are real people that really exist in Baltimore like McNulty is out there somewhere I love to immerse myself in those kind of universes and I lo- and I really respect writers that can give those characters space to grow and exist. I think also the framework of television or like series and it's not just TV because like I think of YouTube as TV but just like the ability to have characters that you can just tap into for a long period of time. Even with this part, I guess if I'm a caricature in my own universe, the idea of it never being never ending. Harry said the other day, he's like, I could imagine you podcasting for years and I was like, yeah, I could probably imagine myself podcasting until I die because I always knew that I was going to do radio like I even went to school for it it wasn't even that I like loved listening to the radio I just was really good at talking absolute shit from a very young age I never shut up there's video home movies somewhere of me I used to talk faster than this and talk even more like it was something that was always said so like and it was always recommended to me that like you should do radio because that was the only place that you could just talk that much this is really my truth and it's just something that I have to do when I eventually plug it back into a matrix hopefully not the corporate matrix hopefully just some version of a matrix I guess everything is corporate in some way I'll love having this outlet and I'm glad I've started this journey again because there's been lots of starts and stops I've done several podcasts now that probably don't exist anywhere and I did find one of them which was a podcast about an old girl's guide to the universe I've got a selection of different vapes and I'm back on the off apple so I'll have a puff of this for the road and I will speak to you soon